never give up. I never give up. I never give up. Hi guys, welcome back to my Steps to Sobriety, my show on YouTube and as a podcast with me, your host, Stefan May. The statistics don't lie. One third of us are chemically addicted. So for those of you out there who still have sort of the notion that oh, they are just sick, they're lazy, they are, they are just, uh, you know, why don't they just stop using drinking? Uh, whatever we are doing to actually stop the pain. Um, <laughs> you already get the idea if uh, one third of the population would be absolute just social failures. Hmm. Doesn't speak much about our society. <laughs> now I've got Andrea Hansen with me here. And we both believe that first of all, we can make this world a better place one interview at a time. So therefore we spend our time here with you guys. And it is a privilege uh, for me to speak to Andrea because she has worked for years and years with people to actually explore what lies underneath um, our addictions, what actually drives us. And so therefore, for me, it's today a little bit preaching to the choir, but I would love to hear Andrea's take on, on things. So guys, rest assured, you're not crazy. And it's okay to not be okay. And we're going to explore that today. So Andrea, welcome to my show. Thank you, Stefan. It's so great to be here. And I 100% agree with what you are saying. People who are struggling with addiction are not crazy. They do have things going on neurologically deep, deep down in the brain that are creating these symptoms. It's not anything to do with laziness or lacking morals or just not being a good person or being a criminal. That's that kind of rhetoric is maddening. It's infuriating when you know the reality. And when you have, you know, walked this path of sobriety with so many amazing people. And it is, it's, it is crazy. Um, the neurobiology, and we are only just starting to understand that the brain is still a black box. But from a variety of disciplines, we're starting to sort of hammer away on the outside of this black box and get little glimpses inside. And once you actually start putting those glimpses together from the various disciplines, suddenly a picture emerges that actually makes it quite clear that this is the disease to start off with um, and that we can actually do things about it. Uh, we are not just victims to our genes they're not just the victims to our environment, although both of both of them play a role. Yeah, Definitely. there's so there's so much to it. How did you first start getting into the work with addicts? Um, what what drove you, or what was the maybe circumstitious way for you to actually get to where you are now? It was a bit of a roundabout path. My dad is an addiction specialized psychiatrist and also went to treatment for addiction. So that was kind of an interesting <laughs> dichotomy that that Good is time. often not, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, and it, it's interesting how much flack he got. And even still, there are really? media outlets that show up to treatment centers that he opens and try to hound him about his addiction as if being an addiction psychiatrist, he doesn't himself believe in recovery as well. It's, it's really so interesting. But all of that happens 
um, his, you know, he was arrested, he went to jail, he went to treatment when I was in elementary school. And back at that time, all of the things that I heard from everyone around me was that addiction is a choice. You know, he needs to not choose this anymore. And then I grew up, I went to graduate school. I was still within that mindset with both addiction and complex trauma. And those are my two specialties, really the complex trauma, which is underneath addiction, but we'll talk about that later. And so I, I, I was really not as interested in that during graduate school because I was still in that culture and in that mindset of, you know, people need to grow up and get over stuff, which was just silly because I had my own complex trauma as well. But I thought, hey, I'm a functioning adult. I'm pushing through. I'm strong. I'm not controlled by my trauma. Uh, but my bullshit. first bullshit, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Uh, yeah, it says you know all of the symptoms that were that I was shoving down as hard as I possibly could, so that I could go through graduate school. But so I went to my first internship at a methadone clinic, and it was kind of an accident that I ended up there. I was supposed to be working with kids at a private practice, but I ended up at a methadone clinic instead. That and would be very, the, the, the polar opposites of your interests really that you could be. <laughs> Crikey. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It was it was a lot. You know, you go into a methadone clinic and first off, you're starting at 5 a.m. in the morning seeing clients. And I, you know, you start off with a caseload of 50. So it's really baptism by fire into mental health. And I just very quickly fell in love with the clients. They were so many of the most incredible, strongest, most resilient people I had ever met. And immediately, I mean, within two or three weeks, I knew that I wanted to work with an addiction. And you're quite right. There is a transformation that happens when you look at, at addiction, uh, well, there are many uh, transformations, but those addicts who seek treatment, who move away from the, the, the kind of victim role towards the survivor and then later towards a thriver role, these mm -hmm. are the most incredible people. And they, they wear all shades of skin, all varieties of genders uh, you can't actually label it because alcohol and and chemical drugs are ways of us to escape our reality and mm -hmm. often enough the complex trauma lies underneath there when we say complex trauma what do we actually mean what is That's your a definition really good question. of that yeah it's such a good question and it's so complicated there is ptsd which is still really terrible, yet a bit more cut and dry as far as the symptoms, the having nightmares, the avoiding, the hypervigilance, all of that. Whereas complex trauma is, as it says, more complicated. With complex trauma, it is events that happen throughout development that impact the development and the developmental course of your brain, all the way from the brainstem up to the top. So what happens with complex trauma, and there's there's decades of research about this. There's the ACE research. Dr. Bessel van der Kolk has done tons of research. 
Um, there's a lot of different great uh, psychiatrists and psychologists that have done research on this. But what has been shown is that these developmental interruptions, essentially, that can be even be in utero or at adoption, uh, they disrupt the brain, they overwhelm the brain's ability to cope, and then we go off on these tangents, essentially, which later on in life can look like addiction, inflammatory diseases, not being able to control your weight, um, any number of the diagnoses in the DSM, like ADHD, anxiety, depression, bipolar, borderline personality disorder, all of those things can stem from the brain's development going off course from being disrupted in childhood. Oh, beautiful definition. Love it. Love it. Thank love you. it. Um, <laughs> the, I think I want to say two things to that the PTSD versus complex PTSD. Um, some people nowadays do no longer talk talk about PTSD, um, mm -hmm. the and drop the D PTS. Um, the reason for that is probably quite wise, because certainly PTSD, if there's one group that really has can can take the ownership of that, these are the, the soldiers that are returning from yes. from deployments. These are the law enforcement officers that see awful thing the, the frontline uh, medical personnel, those kind of people who are exposed to some very, very, very nasty things. Um, a lot of people like that, they are very powerful in their mind. They are very strong people. They have to be for the roles that they are doing. To then admit that there is a disorder and that there's actually something seriously wrong with them, that might not go well with an employer. Uh, that might not go well with their own take on life so therefore some groups are dropping the p the d in pts they could just call it post-traumatic stress and i think that yes. is a very good thing so if you guys hear the difference of that and you don't eh, what are they calling it pts or ptsd that's what it's about actually breaking down the barriers to strong yeah. people uh having to be strong men or <laughs> strong women strong women no i don't know i don't know how the strong woman sounds like um <laughs> so it, you can't uh if you take that shit out break that barrier down just in the hope that maybe some people are accepting it um mm -hmm. accepting that there is help out there and maybe begin a journey that would yes. be beautiful and even from the clinician perspective, dropping the D makes sense because is it a disorder if it makes perfect sense that Ooh. your brain did that with what nice. you went through? Nice. And you adapted, you mitigated in order exactly. to survive horrific experiences. And how is that a disorder? Touche. If at all, you could say it's pure survival. Therefore, it's actually adaptation to mm -hmm. your environment, however horrible that environment is. Now, exactly. okay, if you are basically if the if you the trees around you are covered in the in the in the in the guts of your friend, um, okay, on the battlefield, yeah, we accept that that hurts. Um, mm -hmm. If you see your own bones sticking out after a horrific accident uh in your in a motor car um okay then you accept that the problem is there's so many scars that are in us that you can't see at least not on the outside and i guess that is where then the complex ptsd or pts comes in 
And I think that is what so many people don't understand. You don't have to see the most horrific things. And this is not a pissing contest. Ooh, my trauma is bigger than yours. Ha! Ah. Um, it doesn't work like that. Do you have no, problems? Do you do you see clients who face that kind of imposter syndrome? Mm -hmm. how, how can I have trauma? And this, I had a good childhood. Um, and you actually look about it and you think, yeah, right. All the time, hmm. all the time. And it's so interesting that we do that. We compare the negative, but we don't the positive. We don't say, well, I'm having a pretty good day, but <laughs> oh. I guess I can't say I'm having a good day because someone's having a better day. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, yes. I like it. <laughs> it's very silly. And there, of course, we, we have got, we have bombarded in social advertisements and social uh, the own social hell that we are creating called social media, um, where you always <laughs> have to be just a perfect person. So if that is perfect, and if that perfect you see as normal, how mm -hmm. I will never reach that Coca Cola saccharine type advertisement style of life, oh, no. and I don't want to. So so true. But here we are. We, we, we are just sort of at a moment. I'm, I'm trying to set the scene for you guys out there, um, because ultimately it can be quite confusing when you when you never really delve down into the, the description and what are we really talking about? Yeah, so it's interesting. So many of my clients who come to see me, they feel like they have complex trauma, but they can't even put a finger on what it is. That's really common. And often in treating the complex trauma, we never do. We never put a finger on exactly what it was, but there's this knowledge, this inner knowing of there's something that feels like it's very wrong with me. And I often feel like I'm crazy and I'm just sabotaging myself and I'm stuck in this life that I don't want to be stuck in and nothing's helping. But then the complex trauma work does. Mm, interesting. So mm -hmm. what is what is an approach? towards such a person and i guess we, we go one step further so we have got let's say a person in their 40s who has typically achieved quite a lot um they are maybe mums to um some beautiful children they have gone back to work they are they're doing everything they're fulfilling every single role that they could be in their in their society and yet they feel like strangers within the, within their own their skin um mm. same with men and i see it so often around me um we often then try to escape and we often then try to do things that are not so nice Maybe the drinking, because mummy wine culture. Yeah, thank you. I'll take some of that. See, oh, man, I need at least half a bottle before I can pick up the kids from school. All that stress. And after all, I deserve it. Okay. Yeah, or so, I'm a better mom when I do. Right? I'm less agitated. I'm less irritated. I'm, I'm willing to sit on the floor and play Legos with my kids all evening long because I've had my half bottle of wine. Ah, <laughs> uh, uh, very nice. Very nice. How do you address something like that? It's not yet blatantly alcoholic in the gutter, where this person mm -hmm. actually knows that something is seriously wrong. Um, but this person is still actually in a functioning role, actually very well functioning in their own funny old way. Yeah, there's functioning and then there's whole. 
And oftentimes when we're functioning, we're living out in front of our bodies, high achievers living out kind of in front of your bodies. And, and you often feel a tension in the facial muscles as well. So there's so much pressure towards the front of the body and the front of the face to move forward, to achieve, to do. There's a lot of putting pieces of puzzles together in, in the brain. And essentially what it is, is a partial dissociation into the executive functioning regions of the brain to where if I can go about my day, if I can have goals, if I can do all of these things, and if I can look so good on paper, then all of the distress that's going on deeper down, this tidal wave that might take me over at any moment, as long as I can shove it deep, deep down, I'm okay. <laughs> You've just described me to a T. <laughs> <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And it is so... Um, and yeah, I think you described pretty much 80, 90, close to 100% of the people I work with. Mm -hmm. um, who are you? Oh, well, I'm a software engineer. I'm a doctor. I, I, I'm Stefan Neff. I'm a pain physician. That was mm -hmm. for a long time uh, the only thing I could say. And then when when a, when a caseworker, when, a, when, a, when my caseworker actually told me, no, 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 Stefan, who are you? I said, I just told you. I am a pain specialist and so we take on these labels and labels that we have fought long and hard for let's not let's not be wrong here these are these are very powerful things with which we identify but these are still labels these are roles that we take on these are masks that we put up most of us in the 30s 40s 50s have forgotten who we really are how the hell do you finally take such a mask off what is the work that you possibly could do to actually help such a person exploring the beautiful broken mess that is hiding <laughs> underneath all these beautiful masks? There's so many different ways to go about it. And part of it depends on where they're at. You know, if do they want to feel more whole? Do they want a different life? Um, and if they do, that, of course, as we all know, makes it a lot easier, you know, to start with the motivational interviewing. But when when someone is really ready, what it comes down to is healing those lower regions of the brain. You just, they've been partially dissociating into logic already. So if you try to sit there and wrestle with the logic center of their brain, oftentimes they already know. They know. They've got it. They figured it out. They They can do the puzzle. But when it comes to actually connecting to themselves, that's terrifying. So we have to build up that sense of safety and trust within the body and that connection to the body. And all of that happens much deeper in the brain where we're not talking so much anymore. We're breathing, we're moving, we're introducing somatics and bilateral stimulations and sometimes even psychedelics. Well, talk about uh, using fire to fight fire. Oh. Yes, exactly. It seems it seems really weird. It seems weird. And yet, are, are you familiar with the MAPS research? No, but please show me, tell me. Yes. Yeah, so MAPS research has been going on for a couple of decades, and they're working towards FDA approval of psychedelics. Right now, they're working towards MDMA, and then right after that will be psilocybin for treating trauma and PTSD 
they've been doing tons and tons of um, live trials over the last couple of years throughout the world, and they have been going really well. And what they found, and also with appropriate treatment using ketamine, not just one of those clinics where you go in, they give you drugs, you leave, that's not appropriate, but appropriate <laughs> treatment using ketamine, <laughs> that it can help incredibly with healing addiction. But like any medication, it has to be treated very seriously and with the within a larger therapeutic context. I never want to give the impression that anyone can go buy drugs off the street and, and use them and then be healed. That's just not, not how it works. But blended into internal family systems work, EMDR work, somatics, breath work, movement work, all of that stuff in a larger process, the psychedelics have been found to really be able to, one, reduce the fear of connecting to that really deep down injured part of the self that has gone through just so much and be able to increase neuroplasticity so that the therapeutic process that's happening during the, uh, essentially the trip is really incredible and much more potent. And there are so many examples from nature um, or from, from other disciplines slash walks of life where we are doing very similar things in order to actually stimulate the endogenous. So those systems that are within us uh, that have got uh, similar substances that we, our bodies can release. So let that be really deep meditation. Let it be um, a religious uh, mantras or prayers. Let that be um, going into a spiritual retreat with an indigenous um, tribe somewhere. Many of these these avenues where we seek enlightenment or however you wish to call it, um, we are trying to actually trigger those natural impulses to come out. So it makes sense that actually as part of such a beautiful um, beautiful journey that we also use maybe uh, certain certain I don't want to call them drugs, certain certain compounds um, mm -hmm. that uh, can help us to yeah. be catalysts in our recovery journey. But I love it how you said it. You don't just go out on the street and say, "Yeah, see, I heard so, uh, sort of some some of these these mushrooms are good for my PTSD. Let's see which mushrooms I can get on the street." Uh, no, yeah, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> don't try that at home, kids. Okay, that yeah. is no. Yeah, and I've even heard of mushroom experiences and ketamine experiences that have caused uh, post traumatic stress. It can go very poorly. So <laughs> definitely not recommending to do it. <laughs> and guys, when when you hear these stories, don't just hook into the ketamine or hook into a new tablet that is out there. That mm -hmm. tablet is maybe facilitating something. And that is a journey. And that is a journey that you can't take a shortcut. Okay. Mm -hmm. You don't just go from here to way over there with the help of two tablets. No, it doesn't not work like all. that. So unfortunately, there is some work there. But then again, I always keep saying that trauma happens in layers. Um, so does your healing. So mm -hmm. you need to address the outer part of the onion. You, you need to start cutting somewhere on the onion. And yes, there is the first layer. Peel it back. 
And yes, there's some past, there's some not so nice things there. Deal with it. And not in the sense of, oh, just go deal with it. But no, actually explore what the shit has happened to you. Maybe address it. Exactly. Address, maybe start with accepting that something actually has happened to you. And that maybe the little construct that you have created in your head of everything is normal in my life. Maybe it's not so normal. Okay, maybe. And a I common mean, barrier too to accepting that is acknowledging that trauma does not mean that you're blaming anybody else for your problems. I've I've run into that a lot, right? Mm-hmm. That no, my parents were good people, or or no, like they were just struggling too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they were. And acknowledging your own trauma is acknowledging how your nervous system reacted to its environment. And other people were part of your environment. And yes, maybe they were struggling with their own trauma or mental health or addiction or whatever they were going through. And that's how their nervous system and their body and brain were responding to their environment. And then yours did in return. As humans, we're all very connected to each other. We're pack animals and our environment shapes our brain. So other people in our environment have a huge impact on how our brain is shaped. And they can be good, incredible people and they can have contributed to our brain development in a negative way at the same time. Beautifully said. And there is there's another component. Even if you're in your living memory, um, things were okay-ish. Um, go back one generation. You would say, mm-hmm. so what? No, you're kidding. Come on. Come on. That's that's bullshit. Um and yes, of course, my parents had a bad, had a bad life. Um, there's a beautiful study where um, where rats were um, living their life, and in their in their cage, they put um, a metal plate um, that could be electrified, so it gave them a shock. And then the researchers wafted some cherry uh, blossom flavor through the, the rat cage. And shortly thereafter, if the rats were standing on that plate, they got a shock. So very soon they learn, damn, cherry blossom, that hurts. So whenever there's cherry blossom around, don't, okay? So that was mummy and daddy uh, mice. Now, mummy and daddy did what mummy and daddies do. And then a little while later, little mice came out, or little rats came along. Now, the young rats, they did exactly the same so they basically put them into a similar cage setup yet they didn't start the, the, the thing again they didn't start the, the whole uh, um, project again they just started wafting the cherry blossom flavor through the cage and these cats these rats tried to get away from the metal because they had learned in their genes handed down from their parents that cherry blossom is really not good for you so there you go that is the power that negative influences on one generation can actually be handed down to the next generation how much that genetic information is then decoded and comes out that has to do with a lot of other facts that that are kind of sort of um the nurture and the, the 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 things that happen to us in that life. But you have got a lot of influences that you're not even aware of. But these influences, they will shape you like it or lump it. And I think the work that we 
can do nowadays with complex trauma is actually addressing all this multitude of informations that are laid down in response to trauma maybe starting off with the generations before us then starting off at times when we don't even when we can't even verbalize yet we experience things as trauma what yes. you were saying a thing called ace what what is an ace ace oh, of spades are... ace of hearts or <laughs> yeah. adverse childhood experiences is what ace means right so being so whipped being being put into a locker like harry potter um or no, what is what is ace those are great examples uh, pretty rare examples well unfortunately the children in cages situation is not as rare as we would like it to be um but we'll we'll avoid the politics of all of that um most often it's things like having a parent who is neglectful not always intentionally, but maybe they're depressed or maybe they are suffering from tra trauma, from addiction, or they are working three, four jobs, you know, to try to help the family survive or having um, a lot of uh, kind of more systemic attention that is negative, like children who grow up black or trans or gay experience more of that social trauma and adverse childhood experience or having parents who are divorced even if the divorce is amicable it is going to shift the way that life goes for you there's going to be more experiences of of you know loneliness of isolation it's just going to be different with divorced parents and again that's not none of this is to say that the parents are bad people it's just to say that the child going through this needing to develop are now experiencing these situations that are adverse to normal childhood development. And just like you were saying, with the generational things, so often when I'm working with clients, I don't necessarily do hypnosis, but it's something very similar to hypnosis where they're accessing more things than they thought that they knew or that they knew logically. And very often what it comes down to is something that grandpa or even great grandpa or great grandma went through that has been traced down through generational patterns. And that can be addiction. That can be uh, so many of our grandparents went to war not so long ago. It was only a couple of generations ago that just so many. And then going through the Great Depression as well, that kind of poverty and not knowing where your next meal is coming from. That shapes not only your genetics, but the way that the next generation interacts with life. And every generation, it seems, typically tries to do better for their kids than they had. And that doesn't mean that it all just disappears. You know, that that they that everybody is fully conscious and fully aware all the time and 100 percent in control of their emotions and how they react to things and and are completely enlightened in their belief system. So even though parents typically try to do better for their kids, th their kids still suffer the consequences of this trauma that's been dripping down for centuries into us. Beautiful example there. I, I grew up on the wrong side of the tracks. Uh, my mom was a single mom and trying to make the best, working hard. I grew up with my great-grandma 
Um, so talk about all the, the issues there. Great grandma who had gone through two wars. Um, so there was the darkness there. And then I I was hell-bent. This will not happen to my children again. So I was abandoned due to circumstances, so to speak. Um, was I there for my children? No. I was working my guts out uh, in order to provide for my children to make sure that they have a better life than the life that I had. Was I there for my children? Probably not. Because either I was working too hard or then I was drinking too hard because I needed to switch off and I didn't know how to switch off. Um, so there you go. So talk about... It's a wonderful um, example. And it hurts when I'm holding the mirror in front of my face like that um, because I now, I now am realizing how true the notion is that I'm a failure. Um, see, again, we're comparing all the negatives about us and the negative voices are coming out so quick. Arr, you failure, yeah. you bad parents. But this is not what this is about. This is, and it's important this... to, to acknowledge too that yes, you were doing your best for your kids based on the experiences and the life that you had and what you wanted to create for them. You were not a bad person. You are not a bad dad. However, your kids might have consequences. And that's true of all parents. That's true of me as well with my background and how I've attempted to raise my children. And I've fallen on my face a million times over. <laughs> <laughs> and I will pay for their therapy. <laughs> exactly. Exactly right. And I think that is so important that we realize that is we can only do our best. And um, some of us are lucky enough and privileged enough to meet the right people, have the right experiences that we admit that we are not okay and that it's okay not to be okay. And to actually engage in a journey in a series of interactions with ourselves, with other people that help us to become a better version of ourselves. And I think that is what life is really about. That is what the meaning of life is, that we have got the privilege of choice, the privilege of taking action and maybe trying to stop for a moment what we're doing, think is what we are doing really who we really are. Maybe the, the question should be, who are you to start off with? Maybe even better, who do you want to be? Who are you? Maybe your brain comes up with a lot of negative things. Fair call. That's the, that's, that's the line in the sand. And that's one opinion of your brain. Okay. Maybe there are many other opinions there that, that get pushed down under by that strong voice. Um, maybe the question is, who do you want to be? And what steps do you need to take in order to become that new person? And in order for that, you need it's it's time to open the curtains and actually add a bit of sunlight in, and that will expose some of those mm. maybe adverse childhood experiences, maybe some of the decisions that you took that made a lot of sense at that time, maybe some of the decisions that you did last night that made then a lot of sense, and then maybe maybe you regret this morning. And that's cool. That's absolutely cool. This and is... then maybe they'll keep you up tomorrow night so you won't have time <laughs> to do anything wrong. <laughs> yeah. Uh, or you could just decide to stay where you are because at least that's the devil you know. Mm -hmm. um, and at least there is some, some help in that quart of whiskey or gallon of vodka in my case 
um but it never it never seemed to be um and i've checked so many bottles honestly man um the answer is never at the bottom unfortunately yeah, I it tried. can feel like it is at the time <laughs> oh yeah that's right that's right so where to start if we say there's so much trauma around if we now cast our net this wide hell this is this is every day is like walking up mount everest you can't do that that's a waste of time you will never achieve that don't you yeah but what you're saying is all of that stuff is just so intricately interwoven with you know when you say who are you and you know you were saying earlier your your job right your title yes and then when you try to dig deeper than that especially when you're struggling with something like addiction recovery so often where you go to is i'm a failure i'm a fuck up i'm a mess i'm unworthy i'm not good enough um and all of these things are so deeply within us and what i find so often is that those adverse childhood experiences and those really strong insecurities are go, are hand in hand. They came about often at the same time. And that's why they are so strong because that lower region of your brain, the limbic system, where, that is the map of the world, the map of ourselves, that develops before the age of six mm. for the most part. And when you're in a home where there is neglect or chaos, or when you're in poverty or experiencing a lot of of racial trauma, any of those kinds of environments, you start to develop a sense of self that is based around, if I were better, my environment would be better. We take it on ourselves and it makes sense evolutionarily because we need our family, we need our community. So we're not gonna look at our parents at a very young age and say, wow, these guys are whack. I need to get out of this house. <laughs> it's just not how it's gonna go. We're gonna say, okay, you know, if dad's coming home angry every day and he's yelling at me, then what do I need to do? Do I need to be very, very quiet and very, very still? And then our nervous system learns that that's the only way that we're safe. And that, or do I need to make everything in the house super clean? Or do I need to go hide? Or do I need to, you know, what do I need to be doing? And that's how we mitigate. That's how we adapt. And then that's how we are formed. But the idea then becomes that, you know, I'm not good enough. No matter what I do, I can't fix this situation that keeps happening to me. That becomes who we are. And that's so deep down in the brain that we can say all of the affirmations that we want to say, and it's never going to matter. Because <laughs> it's never going to feel true. <laughs> but when we look at life, what, what I often have clients do is write down 100 things that you want from your life anything. And it's so hard. This is a difficult assignment. A 10 is typically where clients will get to before they're like, I'm tapped out. <laughs> they, they write out a hundred things that they want from their lives. And then they write out self-betrayals. What are those times that you look back and it just hurts? Either it cringes or you feel like, you know, hiding or, or crying because you did something and it did not feel okay. And now let's look at what's behind these two separate lists. And what you find is that their value system is behind the things that they want. They want love. They want adventure. They want connection. They want you know, success. They want to have an impact 
on people. They want to do good. And these self-betrayals behind those are these negative core beliefs or these insecurities of you know, being, you know, this is hurting somebody. This was a time that I um, betrayed somebody who I loved very dearly. And when you look at those, the feeling behind them shows you who you are. You are these value systems that you feel so good about. You are not these self-betrayals that you feel so crappy about. And yet we live in those feelings that bring about the self-betrayals. And there comes the medication, the self-medication after that to escape feeling that way. Yep. Uh, the meaning of life. If you guys mm. wanted to to just stop for a moment that recording here, either as a podcast or as a YouTube video, just go back for about a minute, listen to that again, what Andrea just said. Um, I think that is the core because my life just in multiple versions just rushed past me. Zing, zing, zing. Yes, yes, yes. Tick, tick, tick. Um, Andrea just uh basically covered 75 percent of my life uh in one minute so if you've got the same feeling out there then this is okay this is this is a breakthrough this is this is the first time in your life that you probably really pulled the, the curtains aside and and uh got some light into those dark and dangerous recesses uh that are called feelings and emotions and values and, and you actually think what drives your behavior and behavior regardless good or bad um wow but guys if you're now saying damn this is a huge job again please maybe suggest may i suggest that don't try to reinvent the fire or the wheel um maybe maybe now that you understand how important it is to do the work in maybe a systematic fashion and maybe in in a in a certain way that is most likely for you to succeed in having those breakthroughs having those things don't try to think about these things yourself uh yes you might be really good as a i don't know engineer mother nurse whatever your your label is but when it comes to your own your own brain and especially the limbic system and especially those things how you behave trust me you're nothing more than a chimpanzee sitting on a keyboard and <laughs> so yes okay for those of you who are only listening to the podcast you've just missed a a a golden globe like presentation a really incredible of me being a chimpanzee. <laughs> so bottom line is um there is so much out there that we can do. And I think we should start mm -hmm. with that. You and I strongly believe that there is hope out there because you have seen so many people who were in the darkness and came out into the light. Mm -hmm. I chose that title in my, uh, in my podcast, in my show on purpose into the light, because I was in the darkness for a very, very long time. And then I, through a serious series of, of, events i came to a point now where i have to say wow i'm actually in the light and i appreciate every single second of it from now and then there are dark clouds coming across and it's getting dark that's cool 
because guess what trauma doesn't just stop it is it has <laughs> especially the last three years with bitches for virtually everyone i met um and that's okay uh, it is the pressure that we need to grow if there is no pressure if there's no negative uh, negativity if there's no trauma around us then we are just nicely complacent and we are just stagnant so many people and I, I subscribe to that as well embrace trauma maybe not at the moment when it happens but afterwards we say okay damn thank you I needed that that bit of humility that it gave me um the bit of of need to grow further and that is beautiful that's how we become new and better versions of ourselves it is, is there, it is has, incredible has there been a personal example for you in recent times when you actually felt rather um oh damn i'm no longer the 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 person helping others but actually i'm helping myself here right now um, there's so many examples in my life, but have you got some? Oh, all the time. And that everybody is a mirror. Uh, so every, every client that I have in their own way is a mirror for me. And even being in such a deeply incredible healing experience, it's, it's incredibly spiritual and it's really transcending. And so for, for me, I benefit every single time that I work with a client and it is an incredibly beautiful process. And what you're describing, it is healing to be able to get to a place in your life where you're no longer run and driven by dopamine and by trying to, to dissociate and pull yourself out of trauma and instead being able to be fully embodied and experience these challenges in life and navigate them in a place where you're intentionally bettering yourself. That is going through life from a healed state. And that is an incredible place to be as opposed to this, this dopamine war with yourself. And as far as is something to do, right? That's one of the big questions is like, okay, we have this information. Now, what do we do with it? When we act in alignment with our sense of meaning and purpose, with our value system, which again can be extracted from that list of things that you want, we release serotonin and that calms our system down and that helps connect us to our entire brain. So instead of being run by these dopamine spikes and these um, dips down into feeling terrible and then needing that dopamine again and back and forth and back and forth, now we can step into this wholeness where traumatic things happen and we can still choose our life and choose so the 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 statement that you have a choice is so important you have a choice you don't have a choice what happens to you but you have a choice how to respond to that i was recently betrayed so to speak to already use emotional words here by a, a institution um that uh, owed me money substantial amounts of money at a time when i actually needed to pay other debtors for example the tax department 
And this institution um, really fucked me about. So I had to take out a loan in order to pay <laughs> the people who wanted money from me, whilst this institution was dragging its heels, despite me cajoling, asking nicely, bribing, whatever is necessary. Uh, and it was just brutal. I had a choice how to respond to it. And I all in all fairness, I fell back into that that victim role. And I hated every second of it. And I was wallowing in my depression. And there was the darkness there. And I felt it and I tasted it. And I, it it wreaked havoc in my life. And there was the temptation. See, if you just have a drink now, look what they have done to you. You deserve it. Look, because they have done all that to you. Ha ha, we showed them. We drink a whole two bottles of wine down in one. <laughs> that will show them. <laughs> yeah, that will show them. It's their punishment. <laughs> exactly. So that, all that happened in my brain. And it was not nice. Having said that, uh, it's now two months have passed. Um, I'm slowly coming out the, uh, the end of this this bloody not nice experience. And it was a new trauma. Something really pissed me off. But having said that about halfway through, um, I had enough of that victim role. And I started implementing steps of action or action steps. And it was beautiful, actually taking action. And that was at times as simple as actually getting up and quotation mark, making your bed. There's this beautiful, beautiful uh, uh, talk out there, a TED talk uh, about an, uh, from an admiral who uh, about the importance of making your bed in the morning. Um, it's basically all about taking action. And you have already taken action. You've succeeded. You've proven to yourself, wow, I've just succeeded in making this bed. So now I succeed in making myself a breakfast. Now I will succeed. And it's all about taking action. And I've implemented that fundamental thing, the steps, taking action. And it calmed me down. My anxiety calmed down. Because I took action. I was no longer a victim. I was now a survivor. And now I have finally I'm becoming the thriver again because that story is behind me. But I've grown from it. It was painful. It was a pain in the ass, really, actually. I could have done without that. But here I am. I'm I'm now the thriver. I'm a different man. I'm a better man. Um and maybe that is how I encourage you all out there to look at the kind of shit show that sometimes we call life. Um, there are still, amongst all those things that happen to us, trauma, negative experiences, etc., there is still a the choice, the privilege of choice, the privilege of taking action, and the privilege of you uh, controlling those things that you can control. And by doing so, you create a leadership model for the people around you your children see mommy's going through a shit time but they also see mommy is actually making choices that are different from the past she's no longer hitting the whole cheesecake <laughs> she's only having maybe one fork of the cheesecake now that's a start girl <laughs> okay <laughs> so there you go you start taking action and that is beautiful and that is what our power is and Andrea, you're you're a woman who is who is helping others to actually take those steps. 
and that is so beautiful and it, it's such a such a rewarding job isn't it I, I, it's, oh, that's yeah. why I, that's why I do these interviews I have this morning this hour that I, I had the privilege of spending with you of taking action of getting up out of bed being uh and then of course technology fails and more <laughs> trauma <laughs> and everything but here i am i succeeded actually with getting andrea here on my show and she has changed my life already she has made me realize how grateful i can be for all those insights and that's beautiful. She changed me as simple as as by connecting and discussing and, and being open about certain traumas, certain things that have happened to us in the past that are happening to us now by just reflecting on it. And we, that was just a talking side that we just did. Andrea hasn't done a single motion kind of thing with me because there's so much where maybe by using our body uh we can actually change our state um that's where some of the yoga and other things comes in uh how much does that play a role with you in your in your care in your in your relationships with clients yoga is is incredibly important body movement our bodies are the ultimate witness to everything that happens. Our brain can be distracted, asleep, dissociated, a high, right? It can be gone. But our body is always there experiencing every single trauma that we go through. And our body is the answer to moving through that trauma. There's a specific kind of yoga called TCTSY. It's trauma center, um, forgetting the other T, but it's a trauma center yoga. <laughs> And it it's really well researched yeah. for healing trauma. And what it is, is very permission-based. So instead of telling you what to do with your body, it's asking you if you would like to do it with your body or suggesting that it could be interesting to try doing this with your body. And <laughs> you may experience this sensation or you may not. Right? <laughs> it was very much based on curiosity of getting back in touch and building up those neural pathways to being in touch with your body and then being able to even in, in conversations like this in conversations with you Stefan being able to sit here and make eye contact with you even though it's virtual being able to sit here and be part of this conversation and part of touching other people's lives is is incredible especially from an embodied state so as I'm sitting here I'm enjoying feeling what it feels like to sit here and speak with you and that connection to my body and feeling that lightness in my chest and that warmth in my core area, that is such an incredible, beautiful healing experience <laughs> when it feels like, you know, especially when we're scrolling social media and seeing all this nonsense or, you know, watching the news and a lot of states are going through legislative sessions right now. Currently I'm in Utah and Utah just, you know, passed some stuff that's going to be really bad for the addict community um, involving uh, involving Narcan and, and stuff like that. And that is sorrowful. And that is, I could get overwhelmed. I could feel really downtrodden about that. And as you're saying, I get up and I do, I do this and other people will hear this and hopefully feel a sense of hope. And everyone can be part of a conversation 
with other people that can help drive everything forward. Exactly. And that is, I, I think, the key. If you think, wow, this is such a huge topic, where the hell to start? Well, guess what? You need to eat three times a day. And maybe we should we should come back to a very old-fashioned thing called eating together and putting our cell phones down and communicating. And maybe we could just actually bring up such a topic uh, at the dinner table as a family and actually say, oh, how was your day? And really mean it and really actually listen and maybe talk about certain things and then maybe do something with the with us together that maybe is again not watching television but hey guess what let's let's all try to meditate for two minutes what what <laughs> <laughs> can you imagine what you what maybe your parents would say if you're if you're a younger person if you let's even if, if you're 50 <laughs> okay take your 70 year old grandma come on we meditate what <laughs> and maybe just maybe you start a revolution. You start a movement that, mm. uh, and I'm making up here with the meditation, it could be something else that you could actually say, wow, I listened to that podcast here today. Um, and maybe something really touched me there. And by you saying that, you open up, you role model how it is to communicate. You role model how it is to listen all those things that you are so pissed off that your children never do, maybe just role model them and actually see what happens. <laughs> Guilty as charged. <laughs> yes, me too. <laughs> so there you are. There's so many ways that we can actually move forward. And I think that was that was the power of today's interview to actually show you that it's not just possible to move on it's actually uh, inevitable that you will become a better person if you take the right steps. And steps, by definition, means taking action. Uh, steps also, by definition, means you have a choice and you made the choice to take those steps. And the last thing that steps entail is, yes, you can just walk on, the, on, on one spot or walk around <laughs> the place. You also might wish to think, where do I want to walk towards to? So what is your moral compass? What is your the what is the direction that you want to take in order to become the best version of yourself? So all those things can come together. And when they do come together, that is when the magic happens. And I think I want to invite you along onto this journey because both Andrea and me are on that journey. We are just a few steps further ahead on that path compared with you. Um, but we are all on the same path. Maybe our visions towards the end, our dreams are a bit different, but all in all, we want to be the best versions of ourselves. So I encourage you all to create your own power team. And a power team is a team where you are the dumbest person in the team, okay? And we are so bad. We always want to be the leaders, etc. No, that's not a good team, because yes, you can leave. You can learn from leadership, but you can learn so much more when you fail 
and when maybe there are people who know a little bit more about you uh, rather than you do about yourself. <laughs> and there are people like Andrea. So Andrea, if people, uh, if, if listeners want to connect with you, where can they find you? They can find me at my website, andreahanson.net. And then from there is all of my uh, social media links. So you can, you can find me on social media. And I love what you're saying about the power team. And, and if I have one last message to leave, it's very wise words from a client I once had who said, none of us can see our own butts. We need somebody else to tell us what our butt looks like. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. <laughs> <laughs> and it. And it's okay. That's perfect to, to admit, to say, uh -huh. I need help. I need somebody to look at my butt for me. Hmm. I like that. And to have your back uh, yeah. also put it in a positive way it's good to have to have someone in your team who has your back who can hear what you say but more importantly hear what you don't say see um, maybe the need for you to explore and in, in a direction that you haven't even thought about and I think that is the key thing to a beautiful productive relationship with someone was your mentor, your psychologist, your coach, however, whatever label you want to give this person, um, your spiritual guider, I don't care how you call that person, but you need to be clear that there's so much more that you possibly could do to take action and that it's okay to be not okay. It's not okay to just be quiet about it. Um, there is hope, there is help out there. Andrea, you're a classic example of, of people out there who are who are convinced that we can make this world a better place. One interview at a time, one interaction at a time, one smile at a time, one act of gratitude at a time. If we all put that as action steps into our into our life, we can practice that just as much as you go to the gym and you practice repetitions of lifting a weight. You can do uh, repetitions of gratitude, repetitions of making the people feel good around you without giving away too much from yourself. But a smile goes such a long way. An act of kindness goes such a long way. And there's so much that we can do. So, Andrea, thank you very much for, for your time for your honesty, for your insights. Um, you certainly succeeded in making me reflect a lot today on my own journey. More importantly, on who I want to become when I grow up. And I think there's, I'm looking forward to that. Um, however many years I have got, may there be many decades, um, I can't wait to actually explore the better persons the better persons of myself. Yeah, I've never had a better Persians person. Persians are superior. <laughs> yes, I've got a personal friend who keeps telling me that. No, no, no. Me too. The, version, <laughs> the better version of myself. I love it. He will He will not let that down. Oh, my God. Uh, anywho, uh, guys, fun aside, go check Andrea out. Um, her information, all her social media links are down there in the description of the YouTube video and of the podcast. Whilst you're down there, press the like and subscribe button and go out there, tell your friends um, that, that we are having these conversations that hopefully can help others to start living a life that's 
maybe a bit more meaningful, maybe a bit more intentional, uh, maybe full of joy because we have taken actions. And I love that new life. So I'm, I'm, as soon as I'm logging off here, um, I'm going out there and thinking, okay, oh, what can I do today? And that's actually really quite a cool feeling. No longer victim. No, 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 no. Thriver. That's cool. Andrea, thank, oh, thank you. Thank you, so, Stefan. Oh no, you're an amazing woman. Thank you so much for coming onto my show. And you guys out there, look after yourself and live with passion. Bye. Bye. I never give up. I never give up. I never give up. Turn around.